Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. The Bible is, how would you complete that statement? Ser- seriously, how would you, if somebody came up to you and they said, the Bible is, what would be the first word that would come to your mind? And I'm not talking about what you've been culturally conditioned to say or what church culture has conditioned you to say, but simply examining your patterns, your habits, and even your actions, how would you honestly complete that statement? Some of you would probably say, the Bible is confusing. The Bible is boring. The Bible is truth. The Bible is wrong. The Bible is weird. The Bible is a bunch of good stories. The Bible is a fairy tale. The Bible is very outdated. The Bible is irrelevant. The Bible is God's word. The Bible is a book of rules. And I mean, there are probably a plethora of different statements that, that you all thought whenever you said the Bible is. And the truth is the answers could go on and on. But is, is there a more compelling, challenging, confusing, or life-changing book than the Bible? But no matter how you completed that statement, the truth is this. The Bible is unrivaled. And let me tell you why. A couple of things. First off, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, and it's not even close. It has sold, it, it has sold over 5 billion copies. The closest book is not, is not even close by five times that amount. It is also the most widely translated book ever, having at least one book of the Bible translated into almost 3,000 languages. The New Testament has been translated into 1,500 languages, and both the Old and New Testaments have been translated into 532 languages. The Bible has more song, has more song lyrics written about it than any other book. And it also ha- has more books written about it than any other book. No, ever, no other book has ever been more loved, hated, outlawed, abused, misinterpreted, misconstrued, referred to, honored, or dishonored. And even shockingly, the Bible is actually the most stolen book as well, which I think is really interesting. Here's the thing, right? Stats also say the average home, the average home in the United States has at least four Bibles in it. Now, I know me, I got like 12. So honestly, I probably jaded that number some. But also too, you, you can now access the Bible wherever you are on whatever electronic device you have. So the truth is this, no matter what you completed that statement with, be reminded and informed today that no book has shaped and formed our world more than the Bible. Yet what I've seen is that Many Christians and non-Christians are intrigued and inspired by the Bible, yet sadly relegate it to be a good luck charm for their home or car or just flat out scared of it because it's large and intimidating and filled with teachings and stories that can be difficult to interpret and apply to everyday life. And because of that, they don't actually read it or strive to understand it. And one of the callings and passions personally is to help people understand 
this book and how God speaks to us through it. So with this series, my goal is I want to help you start, renew, or strengthen your relationship with this book. But don't get me wrong. I completely get the fact of that it can be a complicated relationship with this book. When you have a book that is actually a book of 66 books written by 44 different authors, some being statesmen, farmers, shepherds, peasants, musicians, poets, kings, and even tax collectors over a period of 1,500 years, written from 13 different countries on three different continents, from many different cultural and socio-political environments in three different languages that include communication types such as genealogies, narrative history, chronicles, laws, poetry, proverbs, prophetic oracles, riddles, drama, biographical sketches, ge geographical surges, surges, surveys, architectural specifications, travel diaries, parables, letters, sermons, and apocalyptic literature. Oh my gosh. I understand that you can deduct that either the Bible is a miracle or it is the insanity of man. But with this series, there is no possible way that I could give you every answer about the Bible that you have or to try to, to answer every complexity the Bible presents. But like I said, what I hope to do as we begin this series with God's help is no matter where you're at on your faith journey, whether you grew up in a, in a Bible-thumping family, non-Christian family, you've been saved your whole life, whatever, but it is to, to with this series, challenge you to engage this book that we believe God wrote and to help you start, renew, or strengthen your relationship with this book. And today, I want to simply give you three. Everyone say three, wherever you're at. Three. Thank, thank you for, for that. I want to give you three reasons why you need to start a relationship with this book or strengthen it. First off, the Bible reveals who God is. The point of this book is not for you to learn facts about a book. It's to build a relationship with God. Or better put, this book isn't about knowing something. It's about knowing somebody. The Bible is God revealing who he is, what he's like, how he ticks, what's important to him, what grieves him, angers him, pleases him, how he's worked in history's past. He's working in us now and how he will work moving forward. I think sometimes we can just kind of look at the Bible and be like, oh Lord, I got to learn this. I got to open this like big book and study it. And we can think like we're trying to study for some sort of final exam and that we just got to get facts, right? But, you know, but, and it's like really who likes doing that, <laughs> right? But think about if you were trying to build Build a relationship with, with somebody. You, you kind of got to start off with some facts, right? You can say, hey, where do you work? How old are you? Apple, Android. What, what team you on? Apple, duh, right? Chipotle's or Moe's? I used to be Chipotle, now I'm team Moe's, right? Parks and Rec or The Office? Parks and Rec, okay. Uh, LeBron or Jordan? I mean, Jordan, I mean, you know, if you're watching Last Dance, like you don't think Jordan's a goat, we need to pray for you online. Check that prayer request box. Uh, Mac, 
Microsoft, right? Like, like, just, like you are going to get some death, but at the same time, at some point, that relationship has got to shift to questions like, why do you think that? What makes you tick? What makes you angry? What pleases you? What doesn't please you? Why did you do that? Why, why do you think that? Here's the thing. Relationships take work. And unfortunately, what I have seen is so many Christians desire to have a deeper relationship with God, but don't want to put in the work that it takes to get past the surface relationship with them. And, and one of the ways you get past the surface, what you can see, feeling-based relationship with God to a deep-rooted, committed, firm, and established relationship with God is through this book that lays out who he is and what he's like. And I'm afraid that I have heard too many Christians and, and, really, and really even currently hearing Christians say things like, God is silent. God feels distant. Where is God? Why is God doing that? God, why don't you speak to me? And, and, and they're saying all of that when they have unexplored, unstudied, unwrestled with, or even closed Bibles. I challenge you, don't, don't say that God is silent, that God is distant, that God is not speaking. If you have an unstudied, unexplored, unwrestled with or closed Bible. But also too, I think we've got to make sure that we do not make the Bible about us. If there's anything we're good at in this country, it's making anything and everything about us. And we've even done this with the Bible Right, where it's kind of like we've said things like the Bible was like a GPS. It's like something, it's like your guidebook for life. And you just get it, and if you follow it, then it'll lead you down the right path. And, and, and it's like, really, that takes the Bible and puts it as just being some other self-help book to help us become the best version of us. It's like, I'll just live my life, sprinkle in a little bit of Bible, sprinkle in some Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans God has for me, nothing but to, you know, bless me, you know, throw in there a little John 3, 16, God loves me, throw in, throw in there so I can do all things through Christ, and voila, I got myself a good little life. Thank you. And, and really, unfortunately, the Bible just becomes something that we add to our lives, that just makes us the best version of ourselves. Y'all, the Bible was not intended to make you the best version of you. The Bible was God revealing himself to us, showing him who he is, what he's like, and how to be in relationship with him. And as a result, our response to receive his extended hand of fellowship and relationship and then conform and transform to be who he is. Here's the thing. This book is God inviting you. It's literally God beckoning you, saying, hey, I don't want you to come and learn facts like you're playing Jeopardy. I don't want you just to come and just, not like, no, I want you to come and know me. I am, I'm literally an open book. Do you want to hear me? See how I've worked in the past. See how I'm currently working now and see how I'm going to work in the future. This book is an invitation to you of God saying, you can know me. Secondly, though, why you need to, start, renew, or strengthen your relationship with this book is the Bible is timeless and timely. The Bible is timeless and timely. Honestly, when I read the Bible, I see the stories and accounts of people and people groups, not that it just happened, but that it happens. 
That stuff isn't just that, oh, it just happened back in Bible times and Abraham and all these people struggle. No, it is, it is not just their struggles. It is our struggles. And I think sometimes we can think, well, things look different. We might not be as technically advanced. But the stories ring true. Think about it. Adam and, Adam and Eve. It's not just their story of giving into lies from the devil. It's, it's our story of us giving into lies with, with the devil. Abraham, it's not just... His story of being impatient, waiting on God's plan to play out. It's our story of being impatient for God's plan to play out. Moses in the story of, of the Israelites. It's not just their story of wandering in the desert for 40 years when they could have made it to the promised land in a few months. It's our story of wandering around in deserts for years. And God's like, yo, you coming over? You, you, you going to stop wandering? Right, Jonah, it's not just his story of running from God in, in his plan. It's our story of when we run from God's plan. Gideon, it's not just his story of almost caving in to fear. It's our story of caving in to fear. Peter, it's not just his story of telling Jesus, I'll never deny you, Jesus, and then deny him three times the next week. It's our story of telling God, God, I'll never do that again. God, I promise. And then the next day you find yourself doing this very thing you told God you wouldn't do. It's, it's our story. Right, Paul, it's not just his story of living a life totally against God and, and, and then encountering God and getting kicked, off of, getting kicked off of his high horse. It is our stories, because honestly, that's some, some of y'all, that is y'all's story. You were totally against God and God knocked you off your high, your high horse, whatever you were on, and he turned you around. This book is not just what happened, it's what happens now. It's our story. John Dixon in, in his book, The Doubter's Guide to the Bible, says this here. He says, I believe the Bible is so popular and, and influential because it tells a story we, we, that we recognize as true. I don't just mean it tells an accurate story, though it is telling that the Bible stands tall even after more than 200 years of secular criticism. What I mean is that its account of humanity and the world we live in rings true. Reading the Bible can be like meeting someone you don't know who oddly somehow seems to know you deeply. It is uncanny. Sometimes when you read the Bible, you find yourself saying, how does this book know about me? How does it know that about our world, especially when it was written so long ago? Here's the thing. When you read the Bible, it is as though it's reading you. Lifehouse, let's not give in to what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. He defined that as this. He said, chronological snobbery is the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate of our own age and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is on that count discredited. Essentially, it's saying that because something's old, it is therefore less valuable, less relevant, or not as pertinent. And so many people treat the Bible that way. Well, the Bible's old, it was stuff back then. It's archaic, it's outdated, it's irrelevant. And you've got friends and family members that say that exact same thing. But honestly, I believe that the, here's the thing. If we're going to move forward, it will require us to look back and find the root of why we as humans are the way we are, why the world is the way the world is, and in turn, find the God-honoring path to move forward. And G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, real development is not leaving things behind as on a road, but drawing life from them as from a root. 
and the, the late apologist, Rabbi Zacharias, who passed away a couple weeks back, points out that there is a root inside every human being to, to want to know about four things. I just did like that. That's eight. I did four. Okay. <laughs> the four things are this. Where you came from. What is right and wrong. Why you're on this planet. And where you are going. At the root of every human being is this longing deep down inside of us. Where would I come from? What the heck's right and wrong? Why am I on this planet? And where am I going? And here's the thing. Y'all, it's these longings inside the human heart and life that the Bible calls dibs on. The Bible's like, hello, I got something to say to that. It tells us and reminds you where you came from, that you aren't some cosmic accident that just evolved over the span of billions of years, but instead you are created in God's image that before you were formed in the womb, God knew you, that God knit you together in your mother's womb. And because of this, every human being has value, worth, dignity, and deserves our love and respect. The Bible tells us and reminds you of what is right and wrong. The truth is not some moving target. In the same way, truth is not a moving target naturally. There are natural laws. Gravity doesn't care if you're black, white, male, female, tall, short, smart, or whatever else. Truth is what God is and what God deems right and wrong. The Bible tells and reminds us of why we're on this planet. To know God, enjoy him, and to make him known. The Bible also tells us and reminds us of where we're going. That, it, that in God's time, this earth will be restored and redeemed. That it's not about going there to heaven. It is about bringing heaven down here, that in God's timing, the wrongs will be made right. What is hidden will be put out into the light. That those who put their faith and trust in Jesus and his goodness will receive their reward, reward eternal communion and eternal relationship with their King, Lord, Savior, and Creator. I believe there is a reason why the Bible has impacted billions and billions of lives. Because it tells the truest story about humanity. It exposes the root of our pain and suffering. And it also shows the root of, of why we can have hope that the God of the Bible has not left us, but instead has a plan and purpose. Some of it we can and will understand on this side of life, and some we will only understand when we stand face to face with him. Lastly, the Bible has what your soul needs. You need to develop, a, develop renew, or strengthen your relationship with this book, because this, this book has what your soul needs. I know many of you think that what you need to endure life is more money, a better spouse, less stress, smarter politicians, some advancement in, te in technology, better health, and whatever else comes to your mind. But I'm here to, to tell you today what you and I and our hurt, broken, troubled, confused, even comfortable, or even satisfied souls need is words from God. You might say, yes, pastor, I need a word from God. <laughs> I need a fresh word. I need something new and fresh. And I've heard people say, like, I, God, I need a word from you. And they've got closed Bibles. And, and, and here's the thing that I would lovingly say to you. Make sure you hear and obey God's eternal word before you go seeking and looking for a fresh word. Don't say that God doesn't have a word for you when you have a closed Bible. But that's what the words in this book are, e even scripture itself describes the words in this book as sweet like honey, a lamp guide 
for our life, food for the soul, a fire that purifies and and hammer that breaks us, a sword that cuts us, milk that that nourishes us. It says that God's words bring light for those in darkness, hope for those that are hopeless, joy for those that are joyless, truth for those who have doubts, clarity for those who are confused, and rest for those who are weary. It almost feels like there is some sort of like life force behind this book. And there is. I'm so glad you asked. And I'm so excited to share with you. Thank you for asking that. I could hear you saying, yes, there is some sort of like life force. I want to share with you what that is. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Theologian Ryan Reeves says this here about this passage. He says, God is active. He created all things, delivered his people from bondage in Egypt and took on human nature to live and die and rise again. Not only does God act in history, but he also interprets his actions by inspiring Holy Scripture. God inspires Genesis to interpret his creative actions. God gives Exodus to interpret his action of freeing his people from bondage. God provides the New Testament to interpret the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ and what it means for him to bring the kingdom of God. The divine author, the Holy Spirit, inspired the human authors of the Bible to bear witness to the drama of redemption in both the history of Israel and life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible is a series of divinely inspired interpretations of the Acts of of God. Behind the story and writing of scripture, it wasn't just dumb luck. It wasn't just like the Bible hit the lottery, right? It wasn't just happenstance. Instead, the divine author, the Holy Spirit of God, who used imperfect people and their unique individual circumstances, personalities, and backgrounds to write words that share the story and heart of God. And it's these words penned through imperfect people, through a perfect Holy Spirit that were written for you and I right now That every time you open this book, it is unleashing the power of God, the Holy Spirit of God into your life and heart. And when you unleash the sacred words of God written through the Holy Spirit into your life, let me tell you what happens inside of your heart, inside of your life. Second Timothy expounds on it. It says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching. It teaches you. Scripture It teaches you. The Holy Spirit teaches you. And that means you have to be a student. That means you have to stop thinking you're the one in charge. It means you have to stop thinking like you're the one that knows it all. You have to take, you have to humble yourself and posture yourself as the one who desires to to be taught. But secondly, it doesn't just teach you. It also, and this is the one we don't like, it rebukes you. And I think this is where I think like most of us, like we really like the Bible until we hit this point. Like, yeah, this is this, this my GPS. This is my ride or die book right here. I got it in the back of my car. And then whenever you get into it and, and you actually see the Bible rebuking you, I think we're cool with the Bible telling us how good God is and that God loves us and what God is going to do for us. But when it gets to the point of the Bible rebuking us and telling us that we are Wrong, that is when the rebellious like teenager inside of us rises up. Uh, who is this book to tell me? And it's like the only thing the Bible can't do is tell you you're wrong in this culture. It's like 
the only thing the Bible can't do is in any way tell you that what you're doing, what you're watching, how you're living is wrong. But let me, let me gently and kindly and pastorally let, 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 you, let you know that when, the, when you reject this book, you're not just rejecting a book, you're rejecting a person. Because there is a person behind the book, you reject the Holy Spirit. And, and the thing is this, God's rebuke is in love. I, I know that you possibly had dads and, and moms and different authority figures rebuke you, not in the best, best way, but the best way that I can describe God, God's, uh, God's rebuke is in love. Think about a child running towards traffic and it's rush hour. And the parent sees, sees the child running towards traffic, just going after the ball or something, and the parent is running after them. And before the child steps out into traffic, the parent lovingly, kindly, but urgently takes the child and says, no, you, you are heading towards current or future destruction. That is what the, the kind rebuke of the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, I'm, I'm trying to help you. It teaches us, it rebukes us, but also too, it corrects us. It doesn't just tell you what you're doing wrong. It then shows you how to do it right. The Bible just doesn't tell us that we are wrong. It shows us how to do it right. It's like a coach who has to rebuke their player for not, for not running the play right. And instead of just bashing the player, the coach jumps in and shows them how the play is supposed to be run. And that is what scripture through the Holy Spirit does. But also, too, it teaches us, it rebukes us, it corrects us, but then it also trains us. The Bible trains us. When you have a trainer, it's because you have a goal to get to a place that you couldn't get to on your own, right? It's like you want a sexy body, right? You like summer's coming. It's May. It's quarantine season. You've had a little, too many little quarantine snacks. And you're like, hey, you know what? It's time to get this body right. So you're trying to get that body right, but you realize you can't do it on your own because you, you know, you, you want the sexy body, but you also want Krispy Kreme donuts. And instead of, of working out, all you want to do is just take, is just chug beers and just like, you know, lift beers to, to, to your mouth. So it's like you realize you can't get to the place you want to be on your own. So you get a trainer to help instill and install the vision, discipline, and tools that you need to see that sexy body happen. And this is what scripture does for us. The goal, how, the goal however, is Jesus. And scripture through the Holy Spirit puts in place for us standards of training to help us towards our ultimate goal as Christians, as Christians which is to be like Jesus. But lastly, though, I want to read you one more scripture verse talking about the purpose of what scripture does. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 says this here. It says, for the word of God is, is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we must give account. The Bible, it doesn't just teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us. What this also says here, it exposes us. It cuts us open and goes into our soul 
and spirits and does surgery on those parts of us that we like to keep hidden from God and hidden from people. But let's not miss this. The word of God exposes us. And what that really means is that, is that just as I said earlier, the Bible just doesn't read or you just don't read it. It reads you and then reads back to you. And that's why I think sometimes that we can be afraid of, of this book because when we know what this book says, we are then, what, accountable for what we know. But here's the thing, we've, we've, we've got to know that God exposing us, this is an exposure that is not to embarrass us. He doesn't, ex- he doesn't expose us to show our sin, our shame and guilt. He exposes us to clean us to get us right and to get us in a vulnerable place where we can then say, God, I realize who I am, what, where I'm at, what I need operated on. And you give him permission to say, look, I'm all yours. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.